Good morning, Midland Free. Happy Valentine's Day. Huh? Some of you get that. Guys, it's pink. (laughs) Valentine's Day, right? I didn't pick it. Sorry. Welcome here. My name is Jeremy. I'm the preaching pastor here. We're delighted to have you to worship with us this morning, celebrating God and His gift of love. At Midland Free, we're doing that by kicking off the year with a new sermon series topically based entitled The Eight Characteristics of a Disciple. If you're new, we'd like to welcome you and we're going to point out that there are banners on either side of me that list these eight characteristics. We're nearly through this series and shortly we'll be beginning a book of love, 1 John, the loving disciple, and we will follow Uh, what he has to teach us as well. But right now, we're kind of summarizing the uh, uh, slight semantic shift, but hopefully large um, action shift in our mission statement, which is to to move from passive recipients to active doers, from disciples to disciple makers. So that's where we're at today. We're in the sermon entitled, Demonstrate Godly Integrity. If you're following along in these eight characteristics, you will see that we've written a definition, and the definition goes something like this. It says, living a life of moral and sexual purity and reflecting consistency between belief and behavior, private and public life, words and deeds, and promises made and promises kept. This is a life of integrity. Now, as you look at that definition... Um, there's a lot of things that, of course, jump out there. There's the moral purity, the sexual purity. There's a lot of different stuff. And, of course, I'm not going to talk this morning about every angle of the Christian life. But instead, I want to focus on the big picture or macro view of integrity, which I believe is, in fact, purity in general. And the question we will have then is, okay, purity, moral, sexual, etc., etc. How do I get there? And... I think the definition sort of walks you through that in a very clear way, basically by hinting at it and saying consistency. Consistency between belief and behavior, private and public, words and deeds, promises made and promises kept. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. (laughs) In other words, you want me to be perfect in everything. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Good luck, right? But I'm not perfect. And life is hard, and I mess up, and i got all kinds of issues, and I step in it nearly every day. How in the world am I going to do this? You want perfection, Pastor Jeremy. Well, not I, but God. So how do we get there? Well, what I hope to say to you this morning is that integrity requires purity. Purity leads to consistency, which we call integrity. Now, As religious people or people of faith, we may be tempted at this point to say, okay, let's figure it out. What's wrong? Okay, don't do that. What's right? Okay, do this. Well, what's that? Wrong. Okay, don't do that. What's right? This. Okay, do this. And we can come up with a really long system of rules and regulations, a sort of written code and even an unwritten code, and we can develop our own values and faith and culture and system and say, okay, we think we've got it figured out. But then the reality is all of that comes up short. That in fact, what integrity truly requires 
is an absolutely and completely pure heart. From there flows everything else. So no matter how good of a system you design, it will still fail. Well, speaking of systems and design and purity, I do live in Midland, Michigan. And so I understand that uh, there are some manufacturers in our area which make one of the purest, actually the purest thing in the entire world that is manufactured. Now, I myself am not a scientist or engineer, and I can try to you know, read up on this, but I'm almost certain that I will trip over something in trying to explain it. So I'm just wondering, is there anybody out there who can help me with this thing we call polycrystalline silicon? Anybody out there who can help me with that? I see some fingers. Oh, there's a guy over there. Okay, come on up, Chris. Or, I mean, whoever you are. (laughs) I need some help figuring out what this thing is. And so, sir, you can help me. Is that correct? I, I hope I can help. Okay, I'll so try to help. What was your name again? Uh, my name is Chris Shirk. Okay, Chris. My ne- name is Jeremy. It's ne- nice to meet nice, you. Nice to meet you. You've, you, you look familiar. I've, yeah. I've been here a okay. few times yeah. in the last year. Okay, good. Uh, usually I'm not sitting down, though. Okay. How, how long have you been here? Uh, my family and I have been here about 12 years at this 12 church. Years. Yep, okay. been in Midland. I've been in Midland about 30 years. Well, what's helped you, yeah. you know, feel like, do you, do you feel like you're a part of the body or yes, no, maybe so? Oh, yeah, I, I, I love this church. I love the people and love getting involved in different things. We've been so involved like, in a few things. So. Like what? Like what are you involved in? Um, I've been involved with uh, the youth over the years, the elder board and uh, the worship arts team. Okay, there, so. cool. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm involved too, and I'm glad to see you here. And <laughs> what is it that you do here? No, oh, I preach. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Okay. You do it well. Well, I'm just wondering, like, so I was talking about this thing. I think they call it poly something. Yeah, another. it's funny that you brought it up because I just so happened to have some in my pocket here. <laughs> Oop, now it's on the stage. You carry so, this around in your pocket. I did today. Yes. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. So this. So is what a, is that? So this is polysilicon, and I think a few people around in the audience have, or the congregation have seen this before. But uh, this is just basically the element Si. On the chart, right, on the periodic chart, it's above carbon, and it's the, it's a, uh, it's a, it's the element in its purest form, polycrystalline form. So could I find that, like, in the driveway when I'm walking in or parking lot, and I can just trip over and like, oh, here's some polycrystalline. You can find this with a couple oxygens on it in the parking lot. That's sand or quartz. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but we take care of that and make it real pure. Okay, so wait, what I find is not that. What you find is not that. So how yeah. do I get that? We get that through uh, uh, some processes that we do up in Midland at Dow Corning, and then also a big process that we have down at Hemlock Semiconductor. Okay, so, big process. So, like what? Like uh, I'm kind of well, like well, you know, I don't. The ushers will distribute the non-disclosure agreements in a minute, and then we'll. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, basically, we uh, to make this pure, we take uh, some chemicals in Midland and we purify those in a liquid form and get them to a super pure liquid that goes down to Hemlock. And then they use those liquids to uh, do a deposition process to get back to this uh, chunk or rock that you see here, which is polysilicon. Okay, so I'm kind of like, you know, not, I'm not a, you know, I'm a pastor and stuff, but I like science. And I mm-hmm. sometimes tinker around a bit in my garage, my basement. Could I, like, just buy a kit on Amazon and come up with something like that? Is it that simple? Probably not. It's probably not that simple. It would be, uh, it'd be pretty hard to do. It takes uh, millions and millions of dollars of stuff to to do Millions that. Of and dollars. we'd have to build you a nuke plant next door to your, 
to your house to get enough electricity. Right. To <laughs> so a lot of electricity and a lot of money. Yeah. In fact, the Hemlock Semiconductor is probably the largest electricity user in the state of Michigan or close to it. Wow. It takes a lot of energy to make this, this stuff. So energy, investment, mm-hmm. money, um, and process too, is that right? Yep, that a lot of processes, Yep, a lot of equipment, a lot of many, many years of people figuring out how to uh, make it more and more and more pure. When we talk about pure, um, we talk about number of nines of purity in, 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 in the industry. And uh, so some of the pure stuff we make is 11 nines, so it's 99 point nine 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 you know nine nines after the decimal point okay purity. hold on i can't even fathom that what's that look like eleven so, okay, nine so if you think about like slide here if you, oh there is <laughs> slide it's back there here. it's not up here oh, yet, okay anyway. maybe it's not working this morning <laughs> I'll okay look at it back eleven there. nines i can see it back there yep. that's a lot of nines <laughs> but there's right. a lot of nines there you, you go know, you, all right you think up. about if everybody thinks about parts per billion or parts per trillion sort of purity think about parts per billion so parts per billion, an analogy of that is if you were running around the world going to every community in every town and every village up in the Himalayas everywhere to look at every person in the world and figure out which lady had the red scarf, that's parts per billion. So right. that puts it in perspective. Especially troublesome if you're colorblind. So yes, right. That would be very, yeah. Or if you don't okay. like red scarves. Right? Or red <laughs> scarves, right. Got it. So 11 nines of purity, heavy investment, major process, lots of energy, yep. and it's Really, really good. Yes. And as good as we can do. Right. But still not perfect. It's still not perfect. Okay. Interesting. So, so once you get there, are, are you done? Is that it? You, no, once you've made you get it? there, then we sell it to people and we make things like this, uh, uh, all of the uh, circuits and pretty much everything, every device that, that everybody here has. This is a uh, this is a great iPod Nano. I think it holds like 200 songs. It's a really powerful one. <laughs> but uh, but it uh, this is all based on silicon-based chips. So that's what silicon's used for. And then the other thing I have in my hand is a uh, solar cell. And that's another big industry you hear Hemlock talk about. And uh, these solar cells are made of very, very pure silicon that takes sunlight and convert it to electricity. Wow. So cool. so like the stuff that's in my computer. You kind of helped. Me. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Stuff that was in your computer originally came from from this. Wow. You know, probably from HSC or one of our competitors for sure. So. So in a sense, you kind of like helped type and write this sermon this morning. I, I guess. All right. <laughs> so if you have any you know, issues with the sermon sense. today, <laughs> talk to Chris. So yeah. So send right. those emails right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thank so, you, right, Chris. Thank you. I appreciate yep, it. Yep, God bless you. All right. All right. <laughs> Way to go, Chris Shirk. All right. So I think I took a few things away from that, and hopefully you did as well. This stuff we call polycrystalline silicon is uh, highly pure once it gets to its final state, but then it's made into something else, which does something else. But along the way, in order for that to happen, you need a huge initial upfront investment. You have to develop a very intentional and disciplined process And not only that, but it also requires a ton of energy. Guess what? (laughs) This is what purity requires. Purity requires a huge initial upfront investment. It requires a lot of discipline in order to make it happen. And it also requires a lot of energy. Today we're talking about the theme of demonstrating godly integrity. And I think the only way for us to do that is follow this process. Now, as I walk you through it, what we're going to do is we're going to do it in a sort of scientific way. 
We're going to look at what we have is sort of like the um, molecular picture, the smaller picture, which is uh, revolving around the subject of oaths. So like, you know, I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, an oath. So Jesus addresses that, how you demonstrate integrity when you take an oath in today's passage. But that is sort of just like a case study or microcosm or smaller thing that represents the bigger thing, the bigger picture, the massive organism. So we're gonna, what we're going to do then, in order to understand how this works out in our life, is the smaller thing, first of all, in, we're, instead of just looking at through the microscope, we're going to back up. So we're going to zoom out, and then we're going to zoom in at the smaller thing, and then we're going to zoom back out again and look at our lives. So the basic structure then that we're going to follow is we're going to zoom out, zoom in, and zoom out. Zoom out to see how the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount and the Old Testament law, the bigger thing, the bigger picture, all relates to this little thing, which is the taking of oaths. And then we're going to look at the oaths and we're going to kind of walk ourselves through that. And then we're going to zoom out and say, okay, now how do I interpret the data? How do I imply this? I've done the study. I've come up with my theory. Now, how does this work itself out in my life? How do I apply this? So basic structure, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out. So let's begin like this, zooming out, okay? Let's begin in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. I'm going to read you the micro, the... the the uh, actual issue or the, the case study, and then we're going to pull out and look at what that looks like uh, from, a, from a larger view. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. If you have your blue Bible, feel free to turn, along, turn in that and follow along. Otherwise, it's up on the screen. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Jesus is teaching, and he says this. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no, and anything more than this comes from evil. Okay, so here's the micro, the oaths. Now let's zoom out to the macro. And if you think of this as sort of like a stair step, here's what we have. The smallest bottom rung, the lowest level, is the oath. Then you take a step up, and what you see is sort of this section in the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus is addressing the law of the Old Testament. And he's telling the Pharisees, this is how I deal with the law. And then as you zoom out further, you see the whole Sermon on the Mount and you realize what God is after. And you understand that God is saying, what I want is not just your pharisaical, legalistic righteousness, the system that you've developed that you think is good enough to ensure perfection or absolute purity, but I want something more. It's actually bigger than that. And when you try to do it yourself, you fail. Your processes come up short. And so Jesus zooms out even further 
to the book of Matthew and you look at the whole point of the gospel of Matthew and what it does. So we've gone from oaths to section on the Sermon on the Mount to the Sermon on the Mount all the way up to the gospel of Matthew. And what the gospel of Matthew is, is you can think of it as a bridge from the Old Testament to the New. It's not put in your Bible in that spot because it was the first gospel written. That's Mark, probably. It is not put there for any other reason than this to link the Old Testament law to the New Testament covenant or the new agreement. And so what it does for the Jewish people who are anticipating and looking for the Messiah is they're coming along saying, you know, where is he who's born king of the Jews? And Matthew is saying, right here, (laughs) look, this is your Messiah. This is the prophesied coming anointed one. This is the guy who fulfills the Old Testament law. This is the complete fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus is him. This guy from Nazareth, who we never would expect, in fact, is the descendant of David, the long-coming, highly-awaited, forever king. Here he is. So here is Matthew, the bridge between the Old Testament and the New. Here is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressing the law, saying to the Pharisees, hey, This is the reality. Now, here we come to our specific passage. Now, let me show you a few verses. That way, I can walk you up to this spot. So you know I'm just not making this up. First of all, Matthew 5, 17. This is, we we today are later, we're, we're later on, but this is how this section begins. Jesus says, look, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Guys, don't worry about that. I I agree with the law. In fact, I've not come to abolish it, but I've come to fulfill it, to consummate it. Here you are stuck in your pharisaical processes, thinking that you can achieve legalistic righteousness. You fall short every single time. You're discouraged. You're threatened. You're like, oh man, what are we going to do? And this is what I want you to know, is that you can't do it yourself, but in me, there's hope. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says it like this, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you, his answer was not yes and no, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but instead it was always yes. For all the promises of God, all the prophets and the law, find their yes in him. That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. So Jesus comes and says, hey, look, this is me. I fulfill it. It's okay. Now in me, you'll be all right. But what's funny is this, is as you follow the text, okay, so Jesus says, I can fulfill it. He makes sure to still shoot down their system. Verse 19, if you're thinking that you can do this, here's what Christ says, um, we'll read verse 18 first. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until it's accomplished. Therefore, okay, so the law is good. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom in heaven. For I tell you, unless... Your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you've got this system that allows for what you think is 11 nines of moral purity. 
You think you're good because you've got a lot of do's and don'ts, but I'm telling you, unless you can do better than that, you're never going to make it. Good luck. Eleven nines are not enough. You think your standards are high. Check out mine. And these are the next few verses, and this is what Jesus does. He takes their standards and he ups them way past the eleven nines to absolute perfection. He says, oh, okay, so you think you, you're okay with anger. Well, I tell you this. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So you think, check, I've never committed murder. I'm good. But, verse 22, Jesus says, everyone who even gets angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Whoa. That upped it. What about this? Next section. Lust. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Oh, got it. Never, never cheated on my wife. I'm good. But Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her. Whoa. That's a hard one. Now, our section today, right after that, is oaths. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Okay, good. I've never given a false testimony. I've never been guilty of perjury in court. Got it. But I say to you, don't even take an oath at all, either by heaven or earth or anything else. Wow. That's pretty high. And then what happens later to another teaching that Jesus gives, but I think this is Jesus' disciples' reaction to nearly everything that comes out of his mouth. They say this, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, who then can be saved? How in the world can we do this? That's impossible. Jesus is like, you're right. With you... With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Here's the deal. Your processes are not enough. And so the Sermon on the Mount really goes after the heart of the issue. The process will not secure you. The purpose of the law is the spirit, not the letter. The purpose of the oaths is integrity, not technicalities. It's not enough just to keep it, but it's who you are at the very heart or core and depth of your being. That's the big picture. Zoom out. Now, let's zoom in a little and look at this specific one, oaths. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus is saying, Okay, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, the Pharisees, here's what they're thinking. They're like, sweet, we got it. As long, I read that, so as long as I swear to the Lord, I have to do it. But if I swear to something else, eh, you know, so so. You know, you know, if you use God's name in it, then you're bound and you're in trouble because God's going to come after you. But if I swear by my hair on my head or the hair on my chinny chin chin, I'm okay. Or maybe I cross my heart and hope to die or whatever. 
And I can come up with this incredibly elaborate system, and indeed that's what you see in uh, the, this intertestamental period, is they have this levels of truth that they have specifically designed so that, for example, swearing by God's name was binding, but swearing by heaven and earth, not quite as much. And that's why you hear this heaven and earth stuff from Jesus coming in. He's addressing that. Swearing toward Jerusalem was binding, but swearing by Jerusalem was not. (laughs) And some of you parents are sitting in here going, yeah, I think I've heard this before. (laughs) Well, you said this. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I said. Did you understand the intent? It had, I mean, wow, yeah, you, you got it technically, but boy, I said you couldn't hit him, but you kicked him, you know? That's not it. Not what we're talking about here. Yes, you fulfilled it, but congratulations. The, the, the intent is completely missed. And Jesus comes to these guys and says, man, you guys have so missed it. You've so missed it thinking that you could fulfill it by parsing words and lining up technicalities is completely off. Don't even take an oath then. Not by heaven, for it's the throne of God. Not by earth, for it's his footstool. Not by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Not even by your head, on your your hair on your head. You don't know how many are up there. You can't even, I mean, guys, come on. You can't control your life. What are you thinking about? Just be honest. In contrast to this fancy system, in contrast to the Pharisees' way of thinking, Jesus just insists on straightforward truthfulness. Yes and no. That's it. Not by this, not by that, not by anything else. Just yes or no. And people should know then from your character and from your heart that that's true. That that's the bottom line. That's it. No playing games, no fooling around, no spin, just yes or no. In my mind, this reminds me a bit of, uh, you know, my grandpa in the good old days, if you will. And I know that the good old days were good for some and not for others, and so we shouldn't, you know, over-idealize it. But it does communicate the idea that a handshake is enough. That there are no contracts necessary, that a man's word is as good as it gets, that you say what you mean and mean what you say, and follow through. Jesus wants you to be upfront and honest. It's important. Now look, I know there's a lot of barriers to honesty. You know, for example, this is Valentine's Day, right? So let's put it in the realm of a marital relationship, okay? So your wife comes to you. And she asks you a question. And you can imagine what those questions might be. I'll try not to be too specific. But you know your answer to that question could get you in a little bit of hot water. (laughs) Do these genes flatter me or not so flatter me? Does this or does that? And you're thinking at this point, oh, a little white lie may not be so bad. (laughs) You know, what are we talking about here? It's a dangerous spot to be in, to have to be honest. Because if I'm honest, then it might hurt somebody's feelings. If I'm honest, I might get myself in trouble. If I'm honest, they might not like me anymore. 
If I'm honest, I might get looked over and passed up for the promotion. If I'm honest, this relationship might end. Honesty is difficult. There are barriers. So how do we walk down that narrow path? Well, the command is clear in no uncertain terms. We are to be honest. And so perhaps there are some of us among us that are like, yeah, let's just let them have it. (laughs) You know, however I see it, here you go. (laughs) Well, is that right? You know, there's the complete avoid it, don't address it, never say anything about it. And there's the I just blurt it out as direct and blunt and rudely as I possibly can. Is there something in between that we might be able to see as acceptable? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 and following give us a pretty good paradigm to work through for this. It begins with a very similar statement to Jesus's. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Put away all falsehood. No baloney, no spin, nothing. Put it away. Get rid of it. There's no spin. No one should ever have to question what you said. Is that the whole thing? No spin. Why? For we're members of one another. Well, okay, so that means I must be blunt, right? We'll keep reading. Verse 29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Okay, you're supposed to be honest, yes, but in a tricky situation, what do you do? Well, you ask yourself the question, is this helpful? Does it build up? Does it give grace to the person who hears it? Am I edifying them in the process? Yes, I am to be fully honest. Absolutely. But what is the intent of my heart? Am I here just to blurt it out bluntly and let them have it and prove myself right and win the, win the war? Or am I trying to win the day? Is this helpful? Does it edify? I'm still under the obligation to always tell the truth. But now as I go about doing so, walking through it, I ask myself the question, how am I helping this person in this? And then when I land at that, I go forward with the next verse. It's so cool how the Bible works, isn't it? It just explains you right, walks you right through verse 32. Okay, you're ready to go forward telling the truth because you're members of one another. Therefore, do it like this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the micro level. This is how you walk through telling the truth, the whole truth. You let nothing corrupting come out of your mouth. You ask, is it helpful? And then you move forward with the intention of being kind and forgiving. Forgiving means there's no such thing as three strikes and you're out. It's 70 times 7. <laughs> you know? Sorry. You get to wipe the slate clean again. Last night we had the privilege of sitting in at the uh, marriage conference uh, that the Faith at Home team brought through the Midland Family Ministries. And 
uh, the guy did a neat little illustration where he walked up to the whiteboard and just put a check, you know, and he put a check and he put a check. And they said, a lot of times you're going through your marriage like this. And every time they do something wrong, you're like, okay. And they tally it up on the board. And I was thinking about this verse. And of course, he came back to first Corinthians 13 and just watching how every time through Christ, something happens, we just wipe it off. Race, race, race. Race. Because if you don't, what happens? Well, then by the end of the day, you've got 10 different checks, and that 11th one comes, and you're like, boom, that's it. I've taken as many as I can count. I'm done. Boom. But you keep wiping each time, forgiving as Christ forgave you. Look, our purpose is to bring glory to God. And within that purpose, Midland Evangelical Free Church has said that what we want to do specifically as a church in our community is make disciples. And we've come up with eight different keys to doing that, and one of which is integrity. And the reason integrity is so important is is this, is because if you're going to be in a relationship with someone, if you're going to try to make a disciple, there has to be trust. There has to be truthfulness. There has to be a rapport. And if there's no integrity, there's no trust, there's no truthfulness, there's no rapport, there's no disciple. That's not going to happen. If they don't believe you, if they don't trust you, if they don't love you, if they don't feel like you truly have their best interests at heart, they're not going to follow you. You can't make a disciple. The only way you can truly do that is if you are a person of integrity. And that starts with your heart. Starts with your heart. So zooming in, here's oaths in context. Zooming out, here's the purpose of the law. Now, let's zoom out one more time. I'm going to give you uh, a great illustration, I think, of a guy by the name of Nathaniel. And this guy's really cool because basically he makes polycrystalline silicon look filthy. He is amazing. John chapter 1 Beginning in verse 43, it'll be up on the screen or you can turn. It says it like this. Jesus, who has, you know, he has x-ray vision. He can see straight to the heart. Is calling his disciples. And here we go. It says the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found a guy named Nathaniel and said to him, Hey, look, we found of him of him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now check this out. When Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Wow. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Can you imagine the Son of God looking you in the eye and saying, that is pure. There is not a single bit of deceit in there. I see all the way to the heart, straight through, and that is for real. 
<laughs> he's just gone through, you know, there's Sermon on the Mount, there's lust, there's anger, there's oaths, there's money, there's everything. And he looks at this guy's heart and says, none of that. I don't have to deal with a single one. He's pure. He's for real. Wow. Now, we don't hear a lot about Nathaniel after that, do we? Very little. Earlier, Simon Peter was mentioned. Did Jesus say he was pure? No. (laughs) There was a few more processes that Peter had to go through first before he (laughs) became the great apostle, right? But Nathaniel is there because his heart is pure. No more process required. Absolutely amazing. Can you imagine if God would say that to you? What a deal. This is why what you say is so important. It's not just about you need say this, say this, don't say that. But Jesus says, you know what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is the iceberg issue which reveals what's going on inside. What comes out shows me what's within. That is why in the Old Testament, the sage in Proverbs says, hey, above all else, above everything else, all the other rules, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. It is the source of the Mississippi, the source of the Nile, the source of your life. It is your heart. And when this is pure, then everything else good flows from that. Start there. Integrity requires purity. Clean out the gutters and guess what you find? Things flow smoothly. Just like with Polly, diligent maintenance will lead to the right results. You need routine cleansing. And for us as Christians, this includes some very simple things. Perhaps you think I'm going to stand up here this morning and give you a radical, dynamic, new revelation. No. You already have it. It's in your hands. Routine cleansing through the Bible and through prayer, through communion and the fellowship of the saints is a system that God has designed to cause growth and purity in your life. These are it. This is the stuff. And as you walk through this process, you need to wrestle with these questions. I come to it and I say, hey, I'm not going to, you know, sometimes people say, hey, Pastor Jeremy, just tell me what to do. And I really struggle with that and push back against it because I don't want to just line up some pharisaical system and say, do this, do that, see this movie, don't see that one, wear this shirt, don't wear that one. You know, for me, that just, I'll never come up with enough stuff for you to do. But in the end, you have to look at your heart and watch God refine it through this process of Bible study, prayer, and fellowship. And then you ask these questions and you say, well, what do I see? Is there impurity there? What do I need to work on? What is God showing me? What is He revealing to me? What is there that I need to confess? Where do I need help? Where are there areas that I'm not strong enough to do myself? Who do I trust completely enough to honestly ask me for help in evaluating my blind spots. Because perhaps I think I'm good, but surely there's something. Who can help me with this? What is it that I see that I like? 
Being honest also means saying, hey, there's some things that I'm doing that I need to keep doing. These are good. Keep it up. Honesty before God begins in the heart. That is why when Jesus begins this section on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Eleven nines of purity. Here's the scary, here's the bad news, good news. Eleven nines is not enough. What God requires is absolute perfection. And as we look at ourselves, no doubt we see stuff that isn't. And so we line up just with the disciples and we say, well, who then can be saved? I can't do it well enough even with all this stuff. That is why God gives us the encouragement and the assurance of the book of Romans. In verse 26 of chapter 8, he says this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here's the process, to be conformed to the image of his Son, who is perfect. There is perfection. In order that he, that is Jesus, might be the firstborn, the first to look like this among many brothers. That's us. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Made perfect. So as Christ has said then, with man things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Purity requires an enormous upfront initial investment. And I don't have enough righteousness to do that. Only Christ does. So he pays my price on the cross. He makes the investment necessary for the purification of my sinful heart. He pays the price. He is the expense that is totally spent. And then, via His gift of the Holy Spirit, He enables this process of sanctification to go forward. And He is the one who keeps me and promises that He will provide the energy and the power necessary to see it accomplished. It is God who makes the investment. It is God who maintains the process. And it is God who provides the energy and power to do so. It's not on us. And so here's the encouragement for you in this process when you see the discouragement of, yeah, I look in the mirror and it's not right. That God himself is there with you. For those who have accepted the payment for your sins, he has made your heart pure And as it gets dirty again, he's continually cleaning it and being diligent in that process. And if you submit to him and allow him to do so, there's a guarantee that this will work. For those whom he predestined, he will glorify. It's a promise. God's got you in his hand. And no one can take you away. In other words, purity is just like everything else. To be pure, Jesus is my only hope. Disciple makers begin by trusting in Christ alone for salvation, but it's not just salvation, it's everything. It's the whole ball of wax. Salvation, sanctification, glorification, participation in the church, whatever, it's trusting Christ. The answer is Jesus. Integrity requires a pure, pure heart. God has paid the price so that you can have one. 
Sanctification refines us. And purity leads to consistency. And consistency leads to integrity. And being integral means you'll be able to make disciples. And thus bring glory to God. Integrity requires a pure heart. Guard your heart. For everything else flows from there. Father, you're a good, good God.